right, good morning, church family. Doing well? <laughs> you guys are so good. Thank you for saying good morning. You're getting louder and louder every, every time. Uh, hey, it's so good to be here. Uh, I hope you have your 19 pages of sermon notes. Uh, I know there's, there's a little extra today, um, so hopefully you have your sermon notes. And um, if you don't, if we have extra, you can raise your hand. And if we didn't run out, uh, there's some in the back, um, then you can pass those out. So uh, we got a lot of notes to get in today. And uh, man, I'm so thankful to deliver this sermon. Um, it's not gonna be uh, probably a lot of um, like yelling and screaming today. It's gonna be a lot of teaching and talking because we have a lot of scripture to get through. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll start off. We're in part two of this uh, part of our series. So we've been in a series called Rethink Religion looking at statements of Jesus where he calls us to rethink some, some things. And last week we talked about Rethink Giving Part 1, and today is Rethink Giving Part 2. And so I want to begin by sharing a quote, and it says from Charles Spurgeon, and it's, the grace, uh, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. If there's no evidence of a new life, then there is no genuine saving faith. That's Charles Spurgeon. And the reason why I leave that quote and I start with that quote is because anytime we talk about uh, giving or any part of our faith in life, the, the point is there should be a change in you, that if you're truly saved, there will be changes. And I felt the Lord tell me something, and in the back just now I was talking uh, with Lindsay about this, and, um, and when Shelly just said what she said about, you know, don't be offended and kind of praying that through, this is really crazy, you guys, because... I think the Lord is literally speaking. Um, I mean, for real, it, it's just crazy. This morning, I was kind of, you know, of course I prepare for the sermon. And as I'm preparing for it, I mean, I don't prepare just Sunday morning, but I, I'm reviewing it, what I've worked on throughout the week. But as a, I really felt the Lord told me to tell you something, and he actually told me first, and he reminded me of something this morning about myself, and then he told me to tell you the same, which is, he, he told me this morning, Ricky, I'm not hard on you. And then he said, don't be hard on them. And that was the exact heart I needed in, in talking on giving. He's like, don't be hard on them. And I want you to know today that as we talk about giving again, I am in no way trying to place a heavy burden on you. The Lord does not cast burdens on us. He, he takes them, right? So just receive this, not from offense, as Shelly just said, and I say to you, don't let the enemy let you be offended by this, please. Just know that I'm not being hard on you, okay? All right. Do you see the alignment of the Holy Spirit in our church family? I mean, amen. All right, so I just say all of this today to say that as you grow in faith, we should see this in every area of our life of faith. And um, let me just say this also. It takes on average from a person who is saved, meets Christ for the first time, to becoming a person who gives 10% of their income, who tithes to the church. The common conversation amongst senior pastors, and I talk to many of them around, it takes a person about two years to get to the place of giving consistently. I talked to somebody this week, in fact, and they said these words, it took me a while. So let me just say this to you. 
I know some of you may be there. It's, it's, it might take you a while. And for some of you who give consistently and you tithe, you're like, I'm sure for some of you maybe it, was, it, it took a while. Every once in a while, there are people in situations like a Paul story where just everything changes drastically um, you know, overnight and all of a sudden somebody goes from saved to serving to devoted all the way, like just everything changes radically in a short amount of time. That's how it happened for me, but that is not how it happens for everyone. And I just want you to know, I acknowledge that in leading a church. Um, I understand that. That's a reality. So just take this uh, a teaching today with, with all of that heart um, attached to it and understanding as a church body. So I want to read a scripture verse to you. We'll put it up on the screen. And um, there's so many scriptures. I'm not going to tell you to probably open your Bible and follow along, but um, all these are in your notes. And so you can go and study them again later and look at them and, um, and see if there's any um, false teaching in what I'm saying. And I don't, I don't think there is. And if there is, then just tell me and, um, and I'll try to make it better next time. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, Paul writes this. And uh, we're going to go all the way through verse 9. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. We read some of this last week. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that I gave not only what they could afford, but they gave far more. They gave more than what they could afford and they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. So they're trying to give to other churches and other people who are in need. They even did more than we had hoped for. And we put a goal out there and they, they went surpassed the goal, you know. Now watch this. This is huge. It says, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I just want you to know that giving starts with your heart for the Lord, that if you, if you have an issue giving, then just try to build relationship with the Lord first. Notice that the first step before giving was, God has my heart. This specific church who gives in such a way gave themselves to the Lord. And when you give yourself to the Lord, you give all of yourself to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. This is where this church is. Verse six, so Paul says, so we urge Titus, who he's sending, to encourage your giving. In other words, to preach on giving, to teach on giving in the first place. And he says, and to return to you and encourage you, and this is good, to do another sermon on giving, right? Ministry of giving, to finish the ministry of giving. Finish what you started. Since you excel in so many ways, in faith and gifted speakers and knowledge and enthusiasm, your love from us, he says, your love from us, I want you to know to do this. And this is what he says, excel also in the gracious act of giving. So he talks about excelling in the gracious act of giving, growing in giving. Then verse eight, this is really important. And some of you, this might free up in the moment. I'm not commanding you to do this. I know some of you are like, oh, see, I don't have to. This is great, you know. Then you miss the understanding of grace. Then you miss the whole thing if that seems as an opt-out card to giving. No, it actually is a free-up card. I'm no longer having to give 
Now I get to give more. That's the teaching in this. I get to give more than that and give out of joy, not out of I'm commanded to, but I want to. This is a free will. Then he says, but I am, watch this, I'm testing. I'm testing how genuine your love is. How genuine is your love for the local church? You want to know? See how much you give to the local church. This is what he used as a measuring stick. Not the only one, but certainly he used it as a tool to test. By comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Man, I know, it's like, that's in the scripture? Yeah, well, that gotta be wrong. Like, No, he's comparing other churches giving to other churches giving. You know, he's not talking about just organizations, he's talking about people. So now he's comparing people to people and their giving. Everybody good? Do not be offended, okay? Verse nine, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he, he uses Christ as the example, though he was rich, Watch this. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. The example is Christ. This is how and why we give to exemplify Christ in our life. Key truth, write this in. Growing Christians grow in their giving. I want to read a passage of, uh, or not a passage, that's a lie. I want to read a a writing from this book that I highly recommend. I'm just gotta get to the right page. And I'll read this to you from this author with this in mind. So, it says, maybe you believe exclusively, exclusively in grace giving and disagree with church fathers and others who teach about the tithe was the minimum giving requirement for Christians. But it seems fair to ask God, do you really expect less of me who has your Holy Spirit within me and lives in the wealthiest society in human history than you expected of the poorest Israelite? What a great question. Since the majority of Christians don't believe or practice tithing. Instead, they embrace what's called grace giving, which is really just giving whenever you feel like it. Whether or not they use that term, let's consider what this actually looks like. Studies over the past decades indicate that American Christians give on average between two and 3% of their income. In fact, more than one out of four Americans give no money at all, not even $5. It says a study found that those who do tithe compose only of about 10 to 25% of the families in the church, but they often provide 50 to 80% of the funding. And I can tell you, because... I'm the lead pastor and I've come alongside our finance team. That is true for our church as well. That predominantly in about most American churches, this tends to be true on average, about 20 to maybe 30% 
of the people who attend regularly and then even give carry about 80% of the church's annual income. So that means about 70% of the people carry about 20% of the income. And no, that's not because those 20 are just so insanely wealthy and everybody else is in poverty, per se. Not, not the case. The truth is, about 20 out of 100 families that were giving, if there was 100 families giving, about 20 of those families actually tithe. 80 of those families don't. That's pretty statistically true amongst most American churches you might visit. It breaks my heart. It should break yours. I believe it grieves the Father. When you think about what could be possible if everyone who is a devoted follower of Christ actually gave their whole life to Jesus, including their money. I believe the church would soar. I continue to read this to you. It says, isn't it troubling that in the wealthiest society, what's inaccurately called grace giving amounts to only a fraction of the first covenant standard. Whatever we're teaching about giving today is either not true to scripture or the message isn't getting through or we're not being touched by God's grace which inevitably moves our hearts to give. It's unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop but it can certainly be a good place to start. Tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's the starting blocks. This is what it means to grow in our giving. Malachi 3, Old Testament, I know. I'll get back to the new in just a minute. Verse eight says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you, you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offering, God responds. You're under a curse in your whole nation because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that whole tithe, not in part, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be enough room to store. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. When God's people did not give as he commanded, God did not bless them materially or spiritually the way that they would have been otherwise blessed. Their stinginess was ways proved that their hearts were far from God and they simply didn't put him first. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. He promises to meet our needs if we do what he says to do. 
this was the answer to their problems. Did you notice that their answer to their problems was actually just to do what God commanded them to do and to bring all the tithes to God? It wasn't that they didn't give anything to God. It says they did give some things to God. They just didn't bring it all in. They bring part of it in. And so because of that, he couldn't do ultimately what he really wanted to do through them. Two questions I'll invite you to write into your notes that can reveal your heart. Number one, if this is the question, think about how you would answer this. This is a self-revealing of your heart. So your heart, you're gonna do a self-examination. Think about the question. How little can I give and still please God? If that is the question that you ask, it reveals something about your heart. How little can I give and still please him? Here's the second question. How much can I give to God according to what he has both given me and told me to give? Now, which question do you think reveals a heart for the Lord that has a heart for God? Of course, it's obvious the second. Lord, what have you told me to give according to what you've blessed me with, according to what I have, whatever you're telling me to give, and then you give that? Of course, this is the one that might say, you know, it's the one that has the heart. The question is, how little can I give and still please you? Does he have the whole heart? Self-reflecting question. Key truth, the tithe should be the beginning of our giving, not the end of it. Then it becomes a religious duty as the Pharisees and Sadducees are doing. Just giving because that's what they're told to do, but certainly the heart is not attached I want to warn you about something as well, some things you can expect if you begin to give or if you continue to give. When we give, we can expect two things, write this in, opposition and testimony. I can promise you if you begin to give and sow seed into this kingdom of God, Satan will show up with all the demonic forces of hell, Ephesians chapter six, and do everything he can to prevent you from advancing God's kingdom because he doesn't want the kingdom of God to advance. And so he will attack in so many different ways, strife in your home, a sickness in your house, strife in your job, all kinds of ways. He'll try to bring up past memories when you gave or some story of what happened to some pastor, you know, I don't know, did something crazy and I don't know, misused or mismanaged money, you know? And that rubs you the wrong way. And so he'll just bring to surface all those thoughts in your mind about something like that and get you to question your giving. And expect the opposition. But you can also expect testimony because God promised provision, Matthew 6. And throughout scripture, he promises provision. So I just don't have this in my notes, but and I, this is no rehearsal. Anyone here have a testimony on giving? You do? Uh, uh, okay, raise your hand. And then uh, I'm gonna ask you to share it. So that might prevent you from raising your hand. So anyone wanna share something real fast? Come here. Well, I saw you raise your hand and then you put your hand down and asked your wife. And so I don't know. Well, come here real fast. All right, we'll get you a microphone. 
Well, wherever you want to be, but up here would be fine. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and, and just try to make it fast because this is in my notes and I've got about 20 minutes, 1940, 1939, 1938. They, they count me down, Dan. So try to. Shouldn't take over? Yeah. Just, <laughs> um, so after I was the person that was taking a while and uh, I'd been saved for a long time and I just started to work and work and work and and after I started giving I just God was telling me that I will take care of you and he, and I don't make a lot we don't make a lot we're not you know independently wealthy yet but um, God says you know we'll take care of you we'll we'll provide for you I'll provide for you and just give and give and give and it's not just the the finances and stuff but even though we don't make a lot we're still taken care of and it's it's eye-opening to see how what little I have stretches over the amount that I think I should have. That makes sense. It makes you know? perfect sense. Thank you. Listen, I, you know, it's funny because you're like, I, I heard a word there just now. I mean, I didn't plan this. And I know anybody else, not that you can share, but just raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand really high so everybody can look around the room and see if you have a testimony that... That, that God has proven to be true, that when I give to him, he, he, he helps back. Raise your hand. Look around the room, just look around. Okay, I did not plant them. Keep your hand up. I didn't plant them there, okay? I didn't ask them all to show up and sit in those seats today and raise their hand at a certain point. Just want you to know, thank you. It's true. You don't believe it? Try it out. It works. And the key word that he just said that I want you to hear. We don't make a lot, but somehow he stretches it out. And the first thing I thought was for your family, and I'm not saying this is from the Lord, I'm just saying the first thing I thought was, was the multiplication of the feeding of 5,000. You just give me some sardines and crackers and I'll turn it into a display of fish and Italian bread with olive oil and herbs and goodness. It's amazing how he just stretches it out. Amen? Some of you people who don't give, some people don't give are thinking we should try this out. And you should. Like a great restaurant. It's good. Try it. Three principles of biblical giving. 1 Corinthians 16 gives us the answer. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, because in case you have questions about money in church, <laughs> Paul says, here's the answer. You should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. So I'm being consistent. All right, here's the instruction. Verse 2. On the first day of the week, put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. All right, what do we learn from that? Number one, it should be periodic. First day of each week, it's periodic. It's not random. Number two, it should be planned. You set aside. You, you put it aside. I'm planning for this. All right, and then 
a portion. It should be proportional. Okay. We'll talk about three attitudes of biblical giving. Number one, we should give generously. I'm not gonna unpack all the verses. They're in your notes, 1 Timothy 6. Give generously. Number two, we should give freely. Proverbs 11, 24, 25. I wanna give you three types of givers. You can write this on the side. Are you ready? Number one, write grudging givers. I don't know if grudging givers is appropriate, but that's the language I'm using. So sorry for all of you English teachers. Grudging givers. Grudging givers, write that on the side of your note somewhere. You know what a grudging giver is? They give out of obligation. Number two, guilty givers. Some people are guilty givers. They give out of guilt. And then there's free givers. You know what free givers do? They give with joy all they can, as much as they can, and they love it. They are free. Amen? Imagine living that way. I want to show you what that is. Does anyone in the room want 20 bucks? Okay, saw a hand go up over there. Where you at? Yeah, hey, take 20 bucks. Come here. Why not? You're a Seahawks fan, you need it. And I don't know. Yeah, trying to make you feel good, bro. It's been a while. All right, anybody else want 20 bucks? Yeah, why not, right? You don't want it? You want 20 bucks? Take 20 bucks? Anybody else want 20 bucks? What's up, man? How you doing? What's your name? What is it? Elias. Good to meet you, Elias. Glad you came to church today? Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to give it to her, but she doesn't want it. Oh, she had her hand up. All right, take 20 bucks. You want 20 bucks too? What are you going to spend it on? No, don't tell me. Anybody else want 20 bucks? Hey, look at you guys. Awesome. Church loves to receive money, doesn't it? Was that good? How many of you got 20 bucks? You feel pretty good. Raise your hand. You feel pretty good. You just got 20 bucks. How many of you right now, don't lie, you didn't get 20 bucks and you're kind of frustrated with me? Dang, I don't want 20 bucks. And some of you didn't raise your hand. And you're like, I wish I would have raised my hand. Maybe. All right. If you got 20 bucks, put your 20 bucks in the air. Put 20 bucks. Put it in the air. All right. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to go give it away. You give it to whoever you want. Not now. Not now. You can't just give it to the person next to you and then talk to them later, hey, give it back to me. <laughs> so I want you to do something, all right? I want you, seriously, look at me. If I gave you 20 bucks, I want you to go give it to somebody this week. And I can tell you the joy you felt when that $20 hits your hand is the joy they're gonna feel when you give it to them. Now, why wouldn't you want to live your life in that way? Think about that. It felt so good receiving it. 
and I'm gonna tell about this in just a minute, it is so much better to give it. You will make someone's day when you're sitting at Chipotle and you say, you know what, I got you. And you don't have to tell them it came from a pastor at a church. You just, you go ahead and say it came from you, okay? I gave it to you. So you have the right to say, I got you, no problem. And you will see the joy of giving. Amen? Anybody else want 20 bucks? Okay, less hands now. No, <laughs> Yeah, a giant fan, yeah. $20 will not help you. You guys need like 100 million. A new quarterback, some receivers, yeah. Um, you know, here, here's what I know. Um, when it comes to, to giving. It is easier to give money when it's not your money to give. Does that make sense? Okay, let me give the illustration of what I'm saying to you. So I've got 100 bucks. Who wants 100 bucks? <laughs> you didn't want the 20. It wasn't good enough? Man, that's, no, I'm gonna give this. She's like, no, I, I want a hundred. Here, give me a hundred bucks. All right. So I just gave Tracy a hundred bucks. Y'all know where she's at. So y'all can go ask her for some money she's got. So watch this. Just gave out 200 bucks. And I'm gonna ask you, Tracy, to do the same thing. I want you to go bless somebody this week with 100 bucks. And let me tell you something. If I didn't give it to you first and said, I just want you to go give it to somebody and it never became yours, so much easier to give. The lesson I'm trying to get to you is every dollar in your pocket is not yours. When you come to realize that every dollar in your bank account, 401k, all the money that you have is not yours, you will become free in your giving because you'll realize you're not giving your money, you're giving God's money. You're keeping what he allows you to keep and you're giving what he's telling you to give. It's so much easier to give when you recognize none of it's yours anyways. None of it is yours. And if you believe it's yours, you have a misunderstanding of scripture and truth. Everything in the world belongs to the Father. Amen? You will have a much easier time giving when you realize it's not yours in the first place. I hope that you become free givers. Number three, we should give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Five practical questions about biblical stewardship. I gave you three last week. I'm gonna give you four and five today. Number one, or number four, I should say, to whom should we give? Who? Who do we give to? All right. Some people say I tithe to all these different places. Okay. I'm gonna show you what scripture says about to whom you should give. Bring all the tithes, it says, into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. 
If you do, says the Lord, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and I'll pour out a blessing great upon you and you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it, try it, try it, try it, try it. Put me to the test. There'll be enough food in my house, he says. The purpose of the tithe primarily was to support priests and those who ministered before the Lord. When the people did not bring their tithes, the priests were not properly supported and there wasn't enough food for them in the house of the Lord. The tithe in Israel was also used to be helped the poor. Once every three years, some of it was put aside. Once every three years. That's Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. The main purpose of the tithe was to support the tribe of Levi, the priests, the people working in the church, Deuteronomy 14, 27. I'm gonna give you a New Testament. If you say, well, that's Old Testament, supposed to give to the temple. But what's New Testament say about it? All right. 1 Corinthians 9. Paul writes with the same thought in mind. The same principle carries over. Paul writes this. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel? Now, Paul didn't. Paul chose to be a tent maker. He chose not to, but he certainly said that those who do the preaching should receive their living from the preaching. Look at another scripture, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Elders, those leaders in the church who do their work should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Hey, good news for you. I'm a lazy preacher and teacher, so I don't have to get paid, but joke, right? For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox and keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. The ox treads the grain so it should eat the crop. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Now, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25, verse four, and Jesus' statement is Luke 10, seven. He's the one that said, those who work deserve their pay. That's words of Jesus. His point is that those who feed spiritually should reap materially from that which they sow into. So if we sow seed spiritually, then the harvest returns back also materially. And so the people within ministry, per se, deserve their pay. Now, I just made a lot of other senior pastors really happy because it's the last time I'm gonna see a lot of you, I know. <laughs> I can't believe the pastor said the pastor should get paid. Well. Who else is going to, I'm teaching you. That's my job, okay? They should be paid. He also warns heavily, by the way, very heavily, and instructs teachers of the word, don't do it for pay, which I can tell you I do not. You can talk to the elders of our church, and they will say he does not. Listen, I'm not up here saying I, I need a bump. Don't pay me. Don't write me a check. I'm not asking for more money from you. But it is clear. Scripture is clear that money comes to the Lord's house. Watch this. So the Lord's work will continue. It's not for me. So the Lord's work will continue. Raise your hand if you've been blessed by being in this church 
The Lord has used it, blessed your kids, your family, restored a marriage, found Christ, baptized. If the Lord has used this church to bless you, would you lift up your hand? Okay, I'm just one person full-time on this staff. Just imagine if we had two. Do you see the point? Imagine the ministry. Imagine how the church expands. Imagine if we had somebody in youth full-time devoting their energy to the next generation or our kids' ministries. I'm not pleading with you for hiring more people. I'm just telling you how it works. Is the purpose of the church to build the church? No. It's to build what? People. People build people. Last time I checked. Amen? Because of your generous giving, we were able to bring Shelly on staff part-time this year. Where's Shelly? Okay. Hey, they like you more than me. That, I didn't even get an applause, but you're like, wow, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, raise your hand if you've been blessed by Shelly at some point in life. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look at these hands. Look at these hands. Look at it. No, no, seriously. Look at it. Shelly, you're doing incredible work. I'm telling you, throughout the week, she has so many people in her office praying for everybody, setting them all free from everything. I've been trying this for seven years. She's done it in seven months. It's in... <laughs> she has people in her office, praying with people, leading them to Christ, going to their house. She said this week, hey, I'm leaving the office. I'm going to a person's house, going to lay hands, going to pray for them, be healed. Amen? What, do you want me to visit all of your houses and do everything? Lose my wife in the process and children? No. Amen? So I want you to see people build people. What Paul is pushing on is the finances coming to the church to support the people in their life. Not to buy me planes. I'm not pushing against somebody who bought a plane. And if you own a plane, that's awesome. I'd love to have a ride. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, this is how it works. And when it's stewarded well and managed well, it works. So I know not everybody manages it well. I understand that. There's humanness to all of this. I get it. But please do not let that stop you from sowing into the kingdom of God. Just Follow him. The point is, is that the church has been and always been the place that we should sow seed into. That's where we tithe, the local church. I get it, I know. There's tension there for many of you. I get it, because it was mishandled, misused, or abused. Do not let that stop you from giving and sowing into the seed of the kingdom of God. Amen. All right, so when you look at the New Testament, to whom should you give? Gosh, I gotta go. All right, seven things. I knew I was gonna land on this. I knew it when I saw the notes. I'm like, there's no way I'm finishing this. All right, I gotta go fast. All right, number one, the ministry. New Testament, I'm gonna give you seven areas that you should give, all right? And then I'm gonna talk about it. The ministry, number one. The church is number two. The gospel is three. The poor, the hurting, the community, and the next generation. All right, 
One more time. The ministry, the church, the gospel, the poor, the hurting, the community, the next generation. I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna unpack more of that next week about the compassion. What I'll do is I'll leave this up on the screen. So in our church budget, 2023-24, how we church budget stuff, uh, the ministry, that's all the stuff that goes into doing ministry. I don't know, but we don't get this stuff for free. I don't know if you know that, but there's ministry work that we carry on as a church. And so um, our church budget is ministry related and every dollar we spend goes to ministry to carry out ministry. Uh, Then compassion, I wrote that word there because I want you to know that we have a piece in our uh, budget that says compassion and uh, there's a, a segment of that and then our compassion is broken down like this, the church. Now I want you to know that the church isn't like the church building or no, the church is you. So the church is the people. So we allocate funds to help people in our family. How many people believe that we should take care of people within our own family? And if you don't have your hand up, we're not going to help you when you need help. Okay. (laughs) All right. We love you, but yeah. Okay. So the gospel Great Commission, the poor, yeah, we should help the poor, the hurting, yep, injustice in the world, the community, all those that give and how we give in the community, and then the next generation. All right, I'll break this down probably more next week because I don't have time now, but this is how we actually break it down in our finances. And so far this year, we've given $15,000 towards compassion. And we wanna give more, we're planning to give more. We can see it coming typically November, December, our giving continues to increase in that particular section of our budget. An example of that was she made a giving tree in the back. I know it's just $25 gift cards to Walmart, but if you need two, take two. If you're hurting, take it. If you don't need it, don't take it. Amen? All right. So, you gotta keep moving. Why should we give? Why should we give? Last question. No one can serve two masters. Luke 16. For you'll hate the one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay? Number one, we give because it dethrones me and exalts Christ. Every time you give, it reminds you and it reminds me. It's not about you. It's not about me. Right? It's not about me. So it dethrones me. The act of giving dethrones me. The very act of giving dethrones me. It makes it no longer about you. Number two, we give because we want to lead more people into a transformational relationship with Jesus. More people. Anybody say, no, we're good. No more people here. Anybody want to, nah, no more people. We're good. We've got enough, Jesus. We've saved enough. No, more and more and more and more and more and more. Amen? All right. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion and through your rich generosity result in thanksgiving to God. The generosity results in thanksgiving to God. Stand to your feet if you've been blessed by this church real fast. Stand up. Okay, sit down. That's a lot of you. The only reason... I'm telling you that you got to stand was because someone gave. 
And in an average church, it was 20% of the people who carried 80% of the reason. In other words, if it wasn't for those 20% of people, you wouldn't have just stood here. That's a fact. These things cost money. Amen? It means you agree. So if you didn't say amen, you disagree, it doesn't cost money. And I can show you a budget that it costs money. Amen? It costs money. Yeah? People don't know this. Just to have our church offices alone, nobody goes, oh my gosh, you're gonna freak out. You ready? I told somebody this other day, they were like, oh my gosh. I said, yeah. Did you know just to have our church offices in our market today, by, in our world today, I mean, this, in, our, in our community, it's actually a pretty good price. It costs us $60,000 a year just to have our church offices. Now I have a question, is it worth it? Okay, if you meet in a small group inside our offices, raise your hand. If you've been counseled in our church offices, raise your hand. Think about our teenagers, our youth ministry that happens. How about VBS, anybody blessed by VBS? Listen, all these things cost. And a lot of people don't, you don't know this because no one's told you these things, right? And, and, and just, and all the things, it just goes into it. And I believe wholeheartedly that the church is called to lead people to the hope of the world. And the world needs hope today. And we'll always need that hope and we lead them to Christ. Number three, we give because we can accomplish more collectively than individually, 1 Corinthians 12. We can read the whole chapter about that. We can do more together than we can apart. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And number four, we give because it's actually better Acts 20, 35, it's better to give than receive. It is. You don't believe me? Take your 100 bucks, take your $20, take some money out of your pocket, go buy someone else's lunch, stand in Publix line, buy the person's groceries behind you and tell me that wasn't better. It's amazing. Giving is better. So I'll close with this. Um, back in the back, we have give bins. <laughs> Well, of course we do. Um, so there's two envelopes. One on the right is a smaller one. That's his generosity. That's what we typically use for our, our tithes and offerings, you know. But every year we do what's called compassion offering, and it goes towards different initiatives. I'm not going to unpack where it's going today. Uh, I'll tell you next week where we're looking to allocate some of these resources to. Um, but we, we try to raise 10% of our annual budget. In this compassion offering, we do it every year. And the same is true this year. We're trying to bring in the 30,000, which tells you our annual budget's right around 300. And, um, and so the $30,000, again, I'll talk more about that next week, but there's these kind of special envelopes that says it's more blessed to give than receive on it. And so I'm just gonna ask you to pray about whatever it is you wanna give towards that. The collection dates are December 24th and February the 18th. And uh, we divide up, we've done it for seven years this way. And so you could take one of these envelopes and take it home with you. They're in our give bins. Just take one out, take it home, and, and just pray about what the Lord would tell you to give. And my ask of you is you just give whatever he tells you to give. And here's what I'll say, last thought. If you're a person in this, uh, in this talk, as I've been talking for two weeks on giving, if you're uh, if one of the people that's, you know, I said it takes time, but you're just not at tithe yet. In fact, for some of you, you don't even give a percent. I mean, you might throw a buck here or there, but you really don't even give it a percentage. Here's how I'm gonna kind of invite you to give, not even challenge you, more than just invite you to do what Jesus said. Watch. Instead of just giving to the compassion offering, 
Just start giving a percentage of your income for 90 days or something like that. Talk to your spouse if you're married. Pray about it together. Come up separately with a figure or a percentage. That's what my wife and I do. Go over there, go over there, kind of spend a week or two praying or something like that. Come back together. What percentage is in your mind? What percentage is in your mind? Is it 10? Is it five? Is it eight? Is it seven? If you're not 10, if you're not at 10 yet, then start somewhere in a percentage base. Why? Because it's proportional. It's proportional. I do think the minimum standard should be 10, but you pray about it. Just start with a percent versus a dollar amount. If you're not a a tither or, or a consistent giver, instead of just giving once, I'm gonna invite you to start giving more consistently. If you're a consistent giver, then you already know and you're super pumped and if you're a free giver, this is like the best part of the year for you. If you're a free giver, and I don't need an applause, but the most free givers in the world are pumped about situations like this because they know the result of it will be more people standing next year. More people coming to faith. More families getting restored. More people finding hope. More people, more children. Amen? The harvest is plentiful. The givers are few. The workers are few. The laborers are few. Just imagine with me what would happen if we just did what God said to do. How much more God would pour out his blessing on us. The word my wife had last week, she knew nothing of this teaching. I truly believe it was a word from God for our church that if we would just follow him and obey him, he is going to pour out the blessings on us. Not so we could say, look at us, but so that we together could say, look at him. Amen. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this body. And thank you for the generous hearts who help this thing happen every single week. There are so many in this room, Lord. So many who sow time and talent and treasure into making this happen in this way. Thank you, Lord, for showing us what we're to give. Thank you, Father, for providing for us. Thank you for testimonies um, throughout And I pray for those, Lord, even those who might hear me now um, being compelled to give. Lord, you would just reveal to them who you are and what you're capable of and who you are in their life. And may we be a church of rich generosity because you certainly displayed rich generosity when you died for us. In Jesus' name, amen.